It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. Coming up on today's episode, what do Tory MPs really think about Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng's growth plan? Uh, we've been speaking to some of them. We'll bring you their views off the record, including some cabinet ministers. Uh, that's coming up in just a moment. We'll have the columnist panel as well. Before that, though, Liz Truss finally emerged from wherever it is she's been hiding for the last week and did a morning round on local BBC radio stations. Somebody, maybe in number 10, thought this was going to be a nice, cushy, easy ride. Well, it really wasn't. So what I thought we'd do is bring you what I thought were the best bits of Liz Truss going up against local radio stations. Kicking off with Rima Ahmed asking the questions for BBC Radio Leeds. How are you? How are you doing? Have you slept well? I, I have, thank you very much. Good. It's great to be here on radio. I am really glad that you are here as well, because since Friday, since your Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng's mini-budget, the pound has dropped to a record low, the IMF has said that you should reevaluate your policies and the Bank of England has had to spend £65 billion to prop up the markets because of what they describe as a material risk. Where have you been? Yeah. That's going to come in this Saturday. That was before uh, the mini-budget, though, yeah. Prime Minister. I'm talking about the last four days, where have you been? Because we've not heard from you in the last four days. But how long will that take? Because at the moment, there are people who can't wait. They can't wait for things to get better. Yeah, and it just went from there and just got worse and worse. This is Chris Gorham asking the questions of BBC Radio Norfolk. Are you still confident in your policy? You're being urged to recall Parliament. You're being urged to row back on some of the, the tax cuts that were promised in the budget. Does a strong leader stick to Plan A regardless, or do they admit when things haven't gone to plan and, and change course? This is the right plan that we've set out. Uh, this is about making sure that people are going into the winter not worried about ultra-high fuel bills, which is what we were looking at. It was simply unconscionable. Can you guarantee that Kingsland will get a new hospital? Well, as you know, as a local MP, I've been lobbying very hard to see improvements. So, so when is well, it going I hope to happen? she will be the one that delivers. You hope? Norfolk well, needs I'm not, this. I'm not making promises on her behalf. That was Liz Truss there saying, the, the actual Prime Minister saying she couldn't make promises on behalf of her own Health Secretary. Then it was to BBC Radio Kent. And I don't know if we're scoring these. Anna Cookson on BBC Radio Kent is very near the top of the list. Carrie in Birchington says... 
What on earth were you thinking? The country was already in a state of recession. Another says, how can we ever trust the Conservatives with our economy again? And Lydia says, are you ashamed of what you've done, are you? We're working very, very closely with the Bank of England. The Bank of England run They're putting out your fire, to be fair. Policy. Another question from a listener then. What level of suffering is acceptable to ordinary households in order to achieve your perceived goal of growth sometime in the future? What I've been doing is taking action to help ordinary households. This is a crisis pounds. and many people are saying you've made it worse by your actions. Are you going to reverse what was announced in the mini budget in order to at least make things better now for my listeners who are not sleeping at night? I don't accept the premise of the question, the action we've taken. <laughs> on and on it went. Now to BBC Radio Nottingham. This is Sarah Julian. Top man at the Treasury, David Gork, says this has been caused by the mini-budget that you announced, the financial instability that we're all living through and our listeners are worried about losing their homes. You've made it worse. But in the choices you've made in this, this mini-budget is going to benefit far greater those who are very, very well off. If you make a million, you're going to benefit 55 grand a year from the tax cuts. On 20k, like a teaching assistant or a nurse, £157. A couple of people have said to me here in Nottingham, this is like a reverse Robin Hood. That, that, that simply isn't true. But with the <laughs> interest rates said. and people's mortgages, they're now worried not only can they heat their homes, but whether they can keep their homes, whether they can afford their mortgages. Then on to BBC Radio Lancashire. This is Graham Liver. What does local consent look like, Prime Minister? Well, I, the, the, the Energy Secretary will be laying out uh, in more detail exactly what that looks like. And it, I can it, assure it sounds you, like you don't know. And I can know. assure there are various detailed issues to be worked through. But your local MPs don't want it, all Conservative. In the past, the County Council have said they didn't want it, yet your government overturned it. The science hasn't changed. Why can't you tell us this morning there won't be a return to fracking in Lancashire? Well, I don't, I don't accept the premise of your question. Uh, Why? Do you actually know where Preston New Road is, where they have been fracking? Well, I don't, I, I don't think I've been to that site in the past. Shouldn't you? Well, as I've said, we will only go ahead with projects where there is local consent. Yeah, lots of talk about fracking there in Lancashire. Then BBC Radio Tees, Amy Oakden asking the questions. Uh, you announced £45 billion in tax cuts last year. There's been economic chaos ever since. What are you doing to fix this mess? thing is, though, people are very, very concerned. I think we'd be right in saying terrified in some parts where we live. Diane from Gisborough talking about the cost of living. Take a listen to this. I've had to sell my house. Um, I've lived there for 25 years and I know the expense now is getting to the point where I can no longer afford to live there. You mentioned taking these tax cuts. I mean, that's basically going to be in favour of the wealthiest people. People like Diane, who can no longer afford to live in the house that she's been in for decades. What help do you offer her? Well, first of all, everybody has been offered help with their fuel bills. And that was our priority because people were facing appalling fuel bills. How are tax cuts for the wealthiest going to help the people who, who are nowhere near wealthy. How is that going to help, Diane? That's BBC Radio T's there, Amy Oakton. Right to Stoke now. This is uh, John Akers asking the questions. So we're going to get straight to it, if that's OK with you. Um, have you taken the keys to the country and crashed the economy? 
What I have done is I've taken decisive action. How will easing the tax burden for people earning hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds help people in Stoke-on-Trent who are wondering whether to have a meal, a hot meal in a night or to put the heating on. We're going to spend more in mortgage fees under what you've done based on the predictions than we would have saved with energy. I don't think anybody is arguing that we shouldn't have acted on energy. That was BBC Stokes' John Akers. And then, uh, finally, uh, let me bring you uh, James Hansen from BBC Radio Bristol. Well, one, definitely one of the best. I mean, I'm a bit biased because it's a bit of moonlighting on Radio Bristol. But anyway, this is James Hansen. I mean, it's hard to know what has fallen more since you entered uh, Downing Street, the value of the pound or the Tory poll rating. But on a serious note, no one can deny you enter Downing Street with a difficult job on your hands, but you've made the situation worse so far, haven't you? I and the Chancellor have taken decisive action to deal with that. From this weekend, the energy bill price guarantee comes in, so people will be facing no more than £2,500 for a typical energy bill. We've also taken action to reduce our tax burden and spur Yeah, but pro- Prime Minister, with projects. respect, that so is we the same scripted answer you've given going. to every BBC local radio station this morning. You've got the Bank of England stepping in now to try and clean up a mess a government has caused. That has never happened. And countries are under pressure... Yeah, but this isn't this isn't Putin. This isn't just about Putin. I mean, your chancellor on Friday opened up the stable door and spooked the horses so much you can almost see the economy being dragged behind them. This is about Putin and the war in Ukraine. That is why we are. So the Bank of England's intervention yesterday was the fault of Vladimir Putin, was it? So you can come out from behind the sofa now. Uh, So uh, that was a lot of the questions from uh, from the local BBC radio stations. Uh, proof that uh, all the best journalism is done locally. Um, Patrick McGuire was listening uh, to, well, to that and all of the uh, interviews this morning. He joins me now. Patrick, as uh, well, I think as James Hansen was, was uh, saying there, she gave the same answers again and again and again. The thing that really struck me was that Liz Truss, whatever the question, particularly about um, scrapping the top rate of tax and so on, whatever the question, she referred to uh, the energy package, which, of course, the energy package, uh, freezing average bills at £2,500, wasn't even in the mini-budget. That was, She did that a couple of weeks before. Yeah, it was It was curious, wasn't it, in that she was speaking as if the only fiscal event in, intervention she had made was that intervention on energy bills uh, before the death of the Queen, um, which is almost three weeks ago now. Um, exactly three weeks ago. Three weeks ago today. And... Meant the listening experience and the interviews were, were very curious, weren't they? Because it was almost as if she was speaking as if there had been no turmoil in the markets yesterday, as if she hadn't um, given her mini-budget. And when she did refer directly to the contents of the mini-budget, it was to make uh, the familiar argument about tax. And that's what made it so strange. That very first argument she gave to BBC Radio Leeds, uh, I want to be clear about the situation we're in, this is all Vladimir Putin's fault, is one she returned to again and again and again. Um, And I think that what was most telling were those silences when she was pressed on the things she didn't want to talk about, which was the pension funds and mortgages uh, of people up and down the country that are now so jeopardised by this. The main takeaway from from that whole hour is just no change, keep, you know, keep going. Uh, they're not going to, to row back from this and hope to sort of weather the storm and hope this passes. Yes, and I think it also raises questions about 
whether that's sustainable because clearly uh, and i wrote this in this morning's times Rose box email um the public see this one way the public are now thinking of this not in terms of energy bills um, as liz trust kept talking about um, that issue has been settled what the public are worried about now is rising interest rates uh, their mortgages and their pensions and liz trust uh, was speaking as if uh, quite defiantly uh, call it defiance call it denial um, she wasn't addressing those issues and when she was pressed she would either uh, pause and issue an, an answer that was unrelated or um she would she would d say she didn't understand the premise of the question uh, she rejected <laughs> the premise of the question that's something she said repeatedly yeah um and as a communication strategy i'm not entirely sure that's going to work and certainly conservative mps have already broken cover like your story this morning's times about cabinet ministers saying um, they've got this wrong um clearly uh, they're going to come under pressure to offer something more substantial. The question is whether Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng are willing to do that politically and able to do that as communicators. And, and that's the other key thing this morning. Liz Truss did not come across as somebody who um, was, was deft or, or, or sort of, you know, necessarily that warm an interviewee or, or, yeah. or, or willing to or willing to say, you know, when she was confronted, I think, on Radio Kent with, with messages from listeners who said um, they, they were worried about paying their bills or, or having their homes repossessed. Um, Liz Truss is more than happy to make a sort of quite arid economic argument in response, and that's not usually what a politician would do. Yeah, no, you completely. Yeah, you're right, uh, Patrick. It was it was quite striking that she didn't sort of mount the mountain argument or take it on. And I think, yeah, listeners will make up their uh, their own minds. That was Patrick McGuire. Then, of course, you can get Patrick in your inbox every morning. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox and uh, sign up now. Now, though, it's time for this: the columnists on Times Radio. Yes, that time of the week. We always speak to two of our favourite columnists. Normally on Thursday, it's night at the Marriott, but India night is having a night away. Uh, so we have got James Marriott. Morning, James. Good morning. And uh, joining us is almost as if we've, we've planned it. Uh, Carol Lewis, Deputy Property Editor of the Times. Morning. To explain why people listening are currently having their house repossessed. Not yet, but close. How bad is it out there, Carol? It's, it's pretty bad. I spent yesterday speaking to people who are caught in the midst of this, tend to be first-time buyers, um, but, you know, I've come on this show many times, haven't I, in the last two years, and, and you've said, what's happening in the house price? And I've gone 10% up, 10% up, 10% up. But um, slowly, you know, things have been gradually quietening down behind the scenes. The figures are still saying 8 to 10% up, but behind the scenes we're seeing um, the cost of living crisis, impact on affordability, interest rates going up slowly but steadily people having less money to spend, fewer buyers out there. So slowly it's been quietening and then, bam, we have the budget and suddenly everyone's staring down the barrel of 6% base rate and mortgage rates of 7 8%. Now there's 1.8 million people remortgaging next year. You know, I had a colleague come over to me uh, yesterday and said, oh, my mortgage um, payments are going to rise from 1500 to 4000 yeah. if it goes that high and I'll have to sell. So there's a lot of panic. Yeah. And for first-time buyers, the people I spoke yesterday, they're caught in this. The banks are pulling the mortgages and repricing them. They've got astronomical rents. They don't know quite what to do. They're just yeah. like, they're pincer movement of interest rates and rents. And, they, and they're like, and, and now we're talking about house price drops. So if you buy on a 95% mortgage and the price drops by... 10, 15%, you're going to be in negative equity. And everyone's just frozen going, ah, what do I do? Yeah. James, uh, I sort of spent the weekend with loads of people telling me they were about to pull out of their house buying. Are you aware of, of, of the impact this is having? 
Yeah, well, it's it's I, it's one of those moments when you don't often feel feel lucky to rent, but um, at the moment I feel I feel like I mean, renting never feels like a good option, but I suddenly feel like homeowners might also might also be feeling some some pain as well. But then I suppose there was a risk. I don't know what you. No, go if your uh, <laughs> if your landlords mortgage repayments go up they'll pass them on to you yes exactly and my, my rent actually already has gone up for cost of living crisis reasons so yeah I, my moment i'm enjoying my moment of smugness but i, I suspect it may not last um it, it is it is very worrying i mean obviously you know falling for anyone who doesn't own a house the prospect of falling house rise house prices sound, sounds like a welcome one but then i saw someone on twitter pointing out that if uh, house prices fall by 10 percent, they'll be about as expensive as they were you know, April last year or something, which makes me think, okay, well, I'm still never going to own a house. Yeah, yeah, they're not suddenly going to become affordable. And obviously, it, it, it bundled into the extraordinary package announced on Friday, Carol, was this stamp duty cut. Yes, yes. Is that light? I mean, I suppose the trouble is, if you're going to save £2,000 on stamp duty, but your mortgage up. repayments yeah. are going to go up by three, four, five hundred pounds a month. It's eaten it, up within yeah. a few months. It, it softens below slightly, but it's eaten up. And actually, people I spoke to... Um, I'm more angry about that because it's stoking inflation. We've got (laughs) Treasury acting in the opposite to the Bank of England. Bank of England's trying to calm it all down and and the Treasury's bumping it all up. I mean, he said, we'll get Britain moving. We don't need to get Britain moving. We don't need to stoke it up. We need to keep it nice and steady. What people want in the housing market is certainty. They don't want any big shocks. They want to know what they're facing. And so, I mean, there's been lots of predictions about more about interest rates hitting six and a half, seven percent. Is there any way to to avoid that now? Yes, yes, there is. Um, I mean, it all it all depends on the Bank of England and the Treasury working in unison, which they're not doing at the moment. Um, but yes, if if say, for instance, the government did something like the IMF told them to reverse the forty five percent tax, if they did that, if interest rates went up, if we quietened everything down. Do you know we we could avert getting up that far later on? Yeah. Um, but if and if we don't, then there's going to be a lot of repossessions. Yes. Um, which is a thing we haven't seen for a long time because the, the, during the financial crash two thousand seven two thousand eight, there were sort of schemes put in place, weren't there? And actually, a predicted huge surge in repossessions didn't happen. Am I remembering that rightly? There, there was there was repossessions. Uh, there was a lot of negative equity, yeah. which were people were helped with. The, the situation was different then. There were, if you you remember, but during that time, you could get a hundred and hundred and ten percent mortgage. So there were a lot of people who went to negative equity quickly. There's a lot more equity in the market now, so there is that cushion there. So it's going to affect those who bought in the last couple of years and have got higher loan to interest rates. But because we've got the cost of living crisis, you're going to have to be able to afford a higher mortgage and your energy bills and your higher um, food bills yeah. and your wages are not going up by inflation. And you end up, um, James, in terms of the political impact of that, people don't normally care about what the Bank of England's doing or the Treasury's doing mm-hmm. or even what the Chancellor is doing. But if, if you're suddenly the house you'd had your heart set on, you can't buy, or you are hoping to move and now you can't, or that holiday you were planning, you've had to count. You know, there's a whole generation of people who've had to sort of things of. I mean, clearly there, there are always people who are really struggling. But I mean, you, I know you've written about the middle class today, but just more broadly, the whole there's a whole generation of people who are going to have a really tough time, having thought that really tough times might have been a thing of the past. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I know people who are a bit older than me in their sort of early mid thirties say that their entire adult lives have just felt like a kind of perma crisis. You know, from two thousand eight onwards. That's been your entire experience of 
you know, and the economy never really seems to have grown. People's lives never really particularly seem to have improved. I, I guess I graduated a bit after 2008, so I wasn't quite in adult consciousness when that happened. But I, I, I certainly feel like that. And yeah, it's just completely extraordinary. It's kind of also the opposite of what a conservative government is supposed to do, which is, you know, help people become homeowners, not have their homes repossessed, you know, help people into that middle class mm. lifestyle. And it's just, a, I mean, the last couple of days have been horrible, but also kind of spectacular as well. Just the implosion of all this stuff. It's amazing that we've gone from, you know, in all of our polling and focus groups, people not knowing who Liz Truss was, yeah. to being a woman who was a bit awkward with the Queen, to crashing the economy. It's a kind of yeah. fascinating, it makes me think it's fascinating, this sort of modern political tactic of, you know, being, when, when you're in an election, being extremely careful about your media exposure, you know, pulling out of interviews in the BBC, being very careful about allowing anyone to get one over on you and, you know, show you up in an interview which means that you kind of, she's arrived in, you know, she's arrived sort of completely untested into this job. And as, you know, a ra that round of interviews with local radio this morning proved, uh, maybe she just can't really communicate with the public particularly well. But we never knew that because, or I mean, we might have suspected it, but it was, it was never allowed to, she never allowed herself to be properly tested as a candidate. And now I've suddenly got this prime minister who's almost being tested after having, you know, yeah, in real, after being elected. In real time. But I mean, it should happen before. It's one of those things where, particularly, it's why leaders of the opposition tend to end up, I think, being better in government. Because they've had years of this grinding, mm. you know, and you make your mistakes in yeah. far corners. I remember Ed Miliband once got in a white pickle doing a very similar big round and he couldn't name the leader of the Labour Council of the area he was talking, you know, and all that stuff. Um, and that really, you know, that's on the local front pages. And everyone's putting it in the local Facebook groups, and that that stuff really takes hold. Yeah, um, in a way that you know, a whoops a daisy on news night might not necessarily. And it's, I mean, it's like people are saying about you know Keir Starmer. I mean, I'm not completely always convinced by how marvelous people are now saying Keir Starmer is as a public speaker, but he's certainly more confident and more assured, and his radio appearances feel much more professional than earlier on in his in his leadership. And he's benefited, yeah, from that exposure, and that's really strengthened him as a candidate. Whereas it's like, you know, it's like not getting, you know, it's the kind of all those, all those interviews are kind of like a vaccine against, you know, um, the various diseases of being a leader. And it's, you know, Liz Truss has never acquired the immunity to deal with the media. And uh, does that analogy work? Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, she's think, never yeah. had the chance to yeah, kind yeah, yeah. of build up her immunity it's for those just media not, appearances. It's just not match fit. That's the thing. It's yeah. the practice, yeah. practice, practice. It's exactly. why people do media training. There's nothing wrong with media training. It's to make sure you perform well on the media. And to that, you know, this morning, no matter what was thrown at her, she just said, this is all caused by Vladimir Putin's war. And when asked, you know, she's just so wooden. It's uh, yeah, it's exceptional. <laughs> what do you think of her? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I haven't seen much of her. That, that's well, that is the, other that's thing. the point. Yeah, I would yeah. like to have seen her in the last few days give some reassuring words. There's a lot of angry people out there who, you know, whatever you say about the Ukraine war, yes, it is partly um, the, the the fault. You know, our inflation is partly to do with the Ukraine war, but that, you know the budget has stoked it and has caused problems. And we were warned, and she needs to get out there and say some calming words or do something. Yeah, actually do something. And I suppose that's the kind of thing, isn't it? Is everyone seeing all these headlines about what's happened to the economy? They expect, you know, your Tony Blair's, Gordon Brown's, yeah. David Cameron's would have been out there. Absolutely. Yeah, people want to feel there's a sense of leadership and there's a grown-up somewhere with good intentions, That's trying absolutely. to make things better. I was yeah. speaking to these um, buyers yesterday. They were saying, we, we just want to know what to do. Why is no one saying anything? The Treasury's giving opposite advice to the Bank of England. Yeah. What's going on? And, yeah, there's just a vacuum there. 
Well, it's a fact. Well, she's doing some more interviews this afternoon, so we'll see how well, that'll cheer everyone up. James, let's talk about your column uh, properly. The shrinkle. Sh- you've written about the shrinking middle class. I can't even say it. Yeah, this is. I was. This is sort of tuning into the slightly depressing mood of this week. Um, just talking about. Uh, Thinking about this sort of extraordinary survey that came out earlier this year, which talked about declining faith in democracy among young people, um, this um, amazing statistic, two, two, thirds, two thirds of young people saying that they would prefer a strong leader who wouldn't have to bother with parliament, which just kind of seems, seems, really, seems really mad to me. And this has basically been linked to the decline of middle class security. And the slightly frightening thing, which is, you know, as soon as you make those basic markers of security the prospect of a better life in a democracy, home ownership, the chance to start a family. As soon as you start taking those things away from people, suddenly people's faith in democracy and the kind of liberal system that we have fades really like alarmingly, alarmingly rapidly. And it's this really interesting, um, really interesting trend. And historians will say that the rise of the middle class through history basically is the cause of democracy. Those two things are very closely correlated. The stronger middle class, the stronger democracy. And we see this all around the world. And my column was sort of speculating on what happens to a country when its middle class isn't growing as it has been through our entire history, but is actually beginning to fall away. And that's a pretty sort of slightly frightening situation, I think. And is that... So I suppose if, if you have a growing middle class and you essentially have people who are comfortable and are therefore maybe more willing to make sacrifices compromises politically to say well you know i'm better off here but you know i'll pay more tax there because i can see that that's an issue which you have lots more people at the bottom who are really struggling then by definition you end up being slightly more selfish you're more angry angry voting. you feel like the system isn't working yeah. i mean the promise of a kind of increasing middle class lifestyle i guess is the system is working for you we can you know we can all get together in the system and make things better and yeah it's just extraordinary as soon as that system begins to falter a little bit i mean america is you know an extraordinary example of this you know, uh, the middle middle class in America really shrinking for people, and suddenly American democracy looks extraordinarily threatened. I'm not saying it's the only reason, but I think it's just a sort of fascinating correlation. And you know, talking about the, dif- the you know increasing difficulties of home ownership and the cost of living crisis. Yeah, this isn't it's not just about money. It's about you know the kind of values of our society and how much buy-in we can get from people into the things that we you know have fought for ages that we believe in. I mean, I don't I don't think there's anything dramatic going to happen. In, you know. Britain, I just think it's a kind of slightly yeah, yeah. worrying portent to think about. But can, 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 home ownership is such a yes, big part of that, isn't it? It's huge. And I think, I think if you, that whole Eng, Englishman's house is his castle, is definitely part of our psyche. When you talk to young people about what they want to buy in terms of houses, what they're holding up as their aspirational house is like Metroland, you know, it's a, a 1950s three-bedroom semi, bay window at the front, garden at the front and back. I mean, it, it came to mind when I read your column, you were talking about Nosy Parkers and, and <laughs> neck curtains and tea and scones. That's exactly where I imagine being. And it, it still is for young people today, even though that's not what our streets are lined with, you know, it, Barrett aren't building them. You, you're That is our aspiration. And, and it's a very middle-class aspiration. I think you're right, when you take that away... Our identity goes, we kind of flounder, we feel we're not supported. It's that whole thing yeah. about having somewhere where you can go home and shut the door, you know, and, and know it's yours secure and you can put your and own safe. pictures up. Yes. And it was interesting, that, you know, one of the big things in Keir Starmer's speech this week was about, I think it's 70% home ownership he was on, wanted to aim for. I mean, it's not yes. hugely clear yes. how, yeah. but it was interesting that he was trying to say that the Labour Party was now the party of 
of home ownership, you know, which yes. is slightly tapping into the Margaret Thatcher property-owning democracy. It was, it was, and, and he would need to you know, get on and build more social housing. Yeah. I mean, I hope he actually meant it rather than just swinging into something that's opportunistic because right now it's in the headlines. Um, just one, um, one thing I want to read you before we, we uh, wrap up. Craig says, for over a decade now, every mortgage quote has a section about what your repayment might be if rates go up. Rates were always going to return to normal levels. If people have borrowed too much and not accounted for this, that's on them, not the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, the more, I mean, is it on them? Or, I mean, it's, the banks have had affordability calculators and until recently had a stress test where they added 3% onto your rate. It's now 1% onto your rate because the, the stress test is gone. But the affordability calculators are tight. They put in your energy bills and so on. So I think since the financial crash, things have tightened up to try and get around people not borrowing too much. But, you know, I go back to, to what we've just been talking about with James. We are a nation of people who want to own our own homes. We want to you know, have four walls that we can go back to safe and secure and they're ours. Yeah. And that's a, yeah. And that's still that's still a big, uh, a big. And also, like you were saying, it's possible we could have stress tested it. Not just with low interest rates, but low energy bill. And, you know, you've worked out, well, I can afford, I budget for that. Yeah. But if interest rates go up to 6% and your energy bills have doubled. I mean, when people took out their five-year that. fixes, yeah, exactly. I mean, no one thought interest rates would be 6% yeah. when they came off. I mean, no one. The brokers, the bank, no one would thought yeah. that. Yeah, it's one we, thing to say, well, could I cope if it went up a couple of points? But yes. that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it's lovely to see you. It is. I mean, you, this is just a torrent of, of gloomy news, Carol, but it's nice to have I'm you sorry. here. You, you, deliver it, you deliver it nicely. <laughs> James Marriott and Carol Lewis there, and of course you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times box. And right now, you can get your first month free. Lovely. Who doesn't like free stuff? <laughs> Especially at the moment. Uh, right, uh, coming up next, what do Tory MPs really think about Liz Truss's plans? Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. 
Now, I've been doing this politics thing for a while now. In fact, this month marks 20 years since I first trained as a journalist in Taunton and 17 years since I started in Westminster. And I have to say, in all that time, I've never seen anything like it. The combination of self-inflicted economic and political wounds is unlike anything I've seen before. Yes, Gordon Brown had a financial crisis to deal with, but he went out with a plan and he faced the music. Even Boris Johnson's political woes didn't really affect millions of people's mortgages, pensions or businesses. This, though, this is different. A huge multi-million, billion, multi-billion pound choice. Unfunded tax cuts to kickstart growth at a time of high inflation and interest rates already on the march. The pound dropping against the dollar. Pension pots teetering until the Bank of England steps in. The International Monetary Fund issuing warnings usually reserved for basket case countries. No wonder the country is furious. And blimey, didn't we get, a, get uh, evidence of that this morning when Liz Truss faced local radio stations? Just listen to BBC Radio Leeds' Rima Ahmed interviewing the Prime Minister this morning. The pound has dropped to a record low. The IMF has said that you should reevaluate your policies. And the Bank of England has had to spend £65 billion to prop up the markets because of what they describe as a material risk. Where have you been? Well, I think we've got to remember the situation we were facing this winter. We were facing a situation where people could have had to pay energy bills of up to £6,000, where inflation was increasing and where we were looking at an economic slowdown, which would have had a huge impact right across the country, including in places like Leeds. So we had to take decisive action. But that decisive action has gone down very badly with the markets and with lots of Conservative MPs. From the Cabinet down, left wondering what the hell is going on. I've been speaking to some of them, and uh, as has Steve Swinford and the Times political team. And Steve joins me now. Steve, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, Matt. Uh, we're gonna, we've voiced up some of what Tory MPs and ministers have been telling us off the record. Sum up the mood in general as you see it right now. People are really despondent. They're, they're very, very worried, Matt, and they're very worried about their constituents and what is going to happen to them this winter. And they're concerned, even if they're supportive, and some of them are supportive of the tax cuts, they're concerned about the timing and the extent of what was announced on Friday. And quite frankly, they're spooked by what's been going on in the markets. Well, well uh, let's go through some of them. One member of Liz Truss's cabinet I spoke to yesterday said the government had got the timing wrong by announcing such a big package of tax and spending reforms while inflation is so high. And an echo of the Prime Minister's own swipe at President Macron of France this summer, the Cabinet Minister said the jury is still out on whether Liz Truss can craft a strong narrative and vision to sell her messages. Well, the unease of the top of government emerged after a growing number of Conservative MPs went public with their concerns that the government is failing to calm the markets. So this is what we've done. We've done this before, and it's a good way of bringing the, the real mood inside uh, political parties. This is what some of them have been, have been telling us. This is, uh, well, let's start with what a former cabinet minister told me. Given that there was such a focus on the risks of unfunded tax cuts to sterling and interest rates during the leadership campaign, she's surprisingly unprepared for it all. Never mind the Thatcher comparisons she invites. She's following the Ted Heath playbook from 1972, but making no attempt to explain why she thinks it will work this time round. And here's another one. This is a long-serving Conservative MP. I can't make out if this is very clever or very stupid. And here's a former minister. It's a good policy objective, but the timing could not have been worse. 
and there's increasing speculation that the OBR has been excluded because it's so undeliverable. They seem to be book smart, street dumb. And this is the question, uh, Steve. There are two things here. It is possible to think that we need more growth, while simultaneously thinking doing a great big pro-growth package while inflation is high and interest rates are on the way up was the wrong moment to do it. And that, that is exactly the bind that they're in at the moment, that inherent in this big package. And we had Patrick Minford in the paper during the leadership campaign, who's a kind of one of the architects of trustonomics. He's an economist who's supportive. And he was making the point that interest rates would, would have to probably go up as a corollary to this to, to, to kind of dampen the growth. So you've got the Bank of England raising interest rates in a bit to kind of slow the economy down. And you've got Liz Truss attempting to speed it up effectively. And that is that is going to be a problem for months to come. OK, let's, take, let's, uh, let's go through a few more. Uh, this is what a uh, Tory MP said. I think it's men in grey suits territory before long. We're not going to allow things to continue to crash, so something is going to have to happen. The Chancellor is obviously finished. It's just a matter of time. I'm yet to speak to anybody who doesn't think this is the case. And this is what a former minister said. I've got party members resigning. It's as bad as Partygate. I've got members resigning, telling me they'll never vote for me again while she is Prime Minister. Where is she? If you're going to be Maggie, at least come and front it out. No one is going to go out to defend this. You'd be mad when she won't even defend this. Obviously, that was speaking yesterday afternoon before uh, we, <laughs> she went and did those local radio uh, clips. And this is what another Tory MP said. Of course, it would be unusual to oust her now. But people are saying the faster you do it, the more likely it is people forget about this. So, Steve, how serious is this moment for Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng? It seems as if, I mean, no one seriously thinks they could remove the Prime Minister. and She's made quite clear that she's not going to lose her Chancellor. And that's one of the points. So Tory MPs are kind of misunderstanding the relationship between Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng. What they're saying is, sack the Chancellor, this budget's terrible. But this was never just Kwasi Kwarteng's budget. This was Liz Truss's budget. It was put to me that this is a budget that effectively she's been working on for 10 years for the best part of a decade. And her fingerprints are all over it. And there are frictions between them, but the overall vision is the same. They want to go for growth and they wanted this massive package of tax cuts and stimulus. So if she was to sack the Chancellor, she might as well be sacking herself in the process. So that won't happen. And today, what we're seeing is they are doubling, trebling down. They are still keeping to this plan. They are still saying it's the right thing to do. And in a way, they almost face no choice because if they were to back down and reverse a lot of these tax cuts, they would then look weak. And I imagine the markets would, would then seize on that as well. So they're in a really difficult position. And I think the hope in number 10 and the hope in number 11 is that things will stabilise, things will calm down. They just need to stick to their guns. But it's going to get very difficult to do that. There seems to be a lot of uh, concern among some toys, though, that the damage has been done, even doubling down, even if it does all turn out all right in the end, whether or not this has been this sort of Black Wednesday moment. Uh, this is what one Tory MP said. I run on pension funds. This is really extraordinary. I don't think you can recover your authority after something like this. Where is she? It sounds like she's in a bunker. Well, who knew having a policy and a Downing Street staffed with 12-year-olds isn't a great idea. And this was a red wall Tory MP elected in 2019. I think the plans are the right ones. Badly communicated. Much more needs to be done to connect the energy support stuff while on the biggest welfare support... Inf- uh... One of the biggest welfare support interventions ever 
with the budget stuff around growth. I'm all in favour of tax cuts, but there has been a PR management of it all. And this was uh, a 2019 Tory NT, 2019 intake Tory MP from the South. It seems the Chancellor was so keen to be seen to be hardline that he forgot the details like financial analysis. He will double down, but I think it feels like if there isn't a massive turnaround, I really can't see us winning the next general election. And what's your... Uh, in fact, there's one more here. While we, just, uh, just, to, just to complete the set, there's a long-serving former Cabinet Minister. I think the markets will force us to balance the books so it will be back to austerity and a rerun of the 2015 election arguments. So, I mean, some people will be screaming at the radio, it's not about you and about the next election, it's about our mortgages and incomes uh, and so on, Steve. But clearly, politicians do think about these things. How critical do you think this moment has been politically? I think that as Prime Minister, you get a very brief period in which to make a first impression. Before she became Prime Minister, very few voters have formed a view of Liz Truss. The problem she's got now is that voters will have formed a view and are forming a view. We saw a 17-point Labour, a lead for Labour earlier this week in in the polls, which was the the highest that YouGov had ever recorded since 2001 when it started doing polling. And it would not surprise me if that is even bigger. So that's the challenge that she faces. The first impression has been formed and it, it is clearly very damaging in, kind of, in terms of kind of fiscal and economic handling. And that's the problem she's got going forward. How do you come back from that? Well, I don't have an answer to that, Matt, but I'll, equally I am not a kind of very well remunerated uh, political strategist in number 10. <laughs> um, I, just, I just get to report on this stuff. Is it, you talk about well remunerated uh, political strategist. Mark Fulbrook is obviously the chief of staff. Uh, I mean, there's been lots of questions around him about what, who, he, you know, who he's worked for before, the fact he wasn't even on, on, uh, on the books, he was being paid for by his own uh, company. His name came up a lot, I have to say, with people I spoke to, just not terribly convinced that this is a political operation which realises quite what a big hole they seem to have got themselves in. I mean, Mark Fulbrook's background is in campaigning. He's got lots of connections to Tory MPs, lots of connections to the grassroots. The the point that people made when he was appointed was you don't have any experience in running a government. And that's the problem. You've got one of the issues is you have someone running the number 10 machine who doesn't actually have any experience of administration of government. And it does strike me that everyone in number 10 and number 11 is pretty wedded to the trust vision ideologically. So I don't know if there's anyone in the room who's asking the other question of, is this a good idea? Should we definitely be doing this? Should we slow it down a bit? Because she was elected on a pro-growth agenda as a Tory leader and she's taking that as a mandate and kind of running with it as far as you can go. Uh, One thing, in fact, uh, Colin's just been in touch saying, small correction, Truss has not been out defending the mini-budget this morning. She's defended the energy package measures from two weeks before that, but she didn't defend the mini-budget this morning at all. And that was really striking, Steve. In an hour of, uh, um, I don't know what, torture probably at the hands of BBC local radio stations, Um, whatever the question was, she went back to the energy cap, uh, the energy price cap help, rather than trying to even defend cutting the top weight of tax, cutting corporation tax. I mean, it, may, it, it feels a bit, it felt to me a little bit like maybe she was acknowledging the wisdom of, you know, if they'd just done the energy price cap stuff and said, look, we'll do the tax stuff later on, but this is the priority, she might have had a better start to her premiership. 
I mean, she she did also defend the tax cuts match. She, she talked a lot about the national insurance cut. She even defended the corporation tax reversal. But you're right. The thing they feel on solid ground on is the energy package. That is a popular package. It caps average bills at around £2,500. So, of course, she put that first. And it's worth remembering that one of the big criticisms of Team Trust about Rishi Sunak when he was Chancellor was that he failed to get enough credit for the £21 billion package he announced back yeah. in the day in terms of energy bills. But now she's got a £150 billion package, which is enormous. And it is, she, she, she's correct that energy bills were forecast to go up astronomically, and this will protect people to a degree from that. But obviously, they're not getting credit for that because all anyone's talking about is interest rates, inflation, and obviously this issue on the, with the guilt. So it's, it's the noise is unbelievable. And that you could have a £150 billion plus package and not be getting political credit for it is a, is a fundamental issue, I think. I suppose part of the problem there is that you're, what you're trying to sell is you are not going to be as worse off as you might have been rather than you are better off, thanks to me. And that's a, you know, that's a hard sell. Uh, Steve, it sounds like somebody's trying to drill through the wall, so we'll let you go. Uh, Steve Swinford. Uh, <laughs> uh, we just heard from Stephen Swinford, the uh, Times' political editor, speaking to lots of... Tory MPs and ministers uh, about uh, how they view the package. Interestingly, uh, some, even some of those who support the principle of cutting taxes and going for growth uh, are, are wavering about whether or not it was the right time to do it. One cabinet minister I spoke to said, that, you know, the, the timing and the sequencing of this was was part of the uh, was part of the issue, uh, um, uh, making the case that. Uh, you, there could have been other non-inflationary cuts. Where, you know, you could cut VAT on fuel. Uh, you could cut the personal allowance thresholds for, for low and middle-income earners. Very targeted stuff. Uh, the big problem is that if you if you put the, the rocket boosters on the economy now, you end up just in fueling inflation, and then interest rates have to go up, and any gains in in tax cuts get wiped out by uh, higher higher living costs and higher mortgage bills. Let's now speak to Times Radio's chief political commentator, uh, Lucy Fisher. I know you've been getting lots of similar messages from Tories as well. Yeah, Matt, that's right. I mean, there is just utter uh, fury and desolation uh, among uh, a significant quarter of the parliamentary party, particularly the Sunak backers. You know, one of them said to me uh, this morning, you know, look at the list of names of those who supported Sunak in the Tory party. They are the intelligent MPs and they supported him not because he did deals and he offered jobs to people, but because his was the only sensible um, financial economic programme put forward. Um, so there is a real feeling of resentment and anger about what's happened. But, you know, as we've heard this morning, both from Liz Trust to, to local radio stations, um, Chris Philp, the um, Treasury Minister doing um, Times Radio and, and national media, just utter defiance from the government. You know, they are adamant they haven't made a policy mistake here. You know, privately, um, some figures in government are saying it's a communications error. They should have um, better pumped up the huge energy um, bills package um, and that they should have done more stakeholder engagement in advance, but, um, but not admitting that the substance of the programme is in any way a mistake. In fact, Lucy, let's, uh, you mentioned uh, Chris Philp, the Chief Secretary uh, to the Treasury. He was out and about this morning uh, fielding questions. This is what he told Times Radio earlier. Getting the economy growing ultimately does yield uh, additional tax revenue. So we set out on page 27 of the Blue Book last Friday um, that if we can grow our economy by 1% more than would otherwise have been the case, thanks to these measures, and that, by the way, is the plan, that's mm. the intention, then it will, after five years, yield... Okay. 
£47 billion of extra income. But beyond that, uh, we do need to make sure we do this in a way that's responsible. But on the 23rd of November, the Chancellor will set out a medium-term fiscal plan which will explain how this will work responsibly. It'll get debt over GDP falling over the medium term. And of course, this will be all fully scored by the Office of Budget Responsibility. Right. In addition to that, we are going to stick uh, rigidly and with iron discipline to the existing spending limits that were set out in the three-year spending review last year. We're currently in the first of those three years. We're going to stick to those spending limits, make sure that every penny of taxpayers' money that the government is spending on their behalf is well spent, and not overspent, but okay. well spent on okay. critical public services and on things that promote economic growth. Uh, that was uh, Chris Philp, the Chief Secretary of the Treasury, speaking to Asma Mia on Times Radio Breakfast uh, this morning, as Lucy was just saying, really doubling down. But even some some support, public supporters of Liz Trust have been a wavering a little bit. Gerard Lyons, who's you know been described as Liz Trust's one of her favourite economists, he well, he came on uh, on the show on Friday, straight after the the mini budget was announced. He gave it eight out of ten, although he seemed a bit squeamish about cutting the top weight of tax. He told Times Radio earlier he doesn't think the execution of the plan was good enough. The pro-growth economic agenda makes sense and mm. the sense of direction is clear, but execution is important. And I wasn't privy to what was in this statement last Friday, but what I'd been saying in the previous few weeks, privately and publicly, was they needed to be aware of the febrile state of markets. They needed to not spook financial markets and needed to keep financial markets on side. Therefore, it was very important to outline their fiscal principles and address these concerns about finance institutions. Therefore, I felt last Friday should have been about the energy levy and about the reversing the two tax increases, corporation tax yeah. and national insurance. Markets expected that. All of those made sense because they doing that all together pr would have prevented a big collapse in the economy mm. and blown the public finances out of the water. Okay. But what they then did was a few extra things which were not expected and were enough to sort of unnerve the markets. In actual fact, the things they did extra were relatively small, but that wasn't the point, really, because of the points Charlie's made. Now, the challenge in, obviously, there's the political issue about roading back, but in financial terms, you can't just reverse things and expect them to get back to where they were. I mean, Lucy Fisher, if, if the man described as one of her favourite economists, even he's, like, rowing back on on this now uh, that's a very bad place to be but i suppose what can they do well you're right matt i was thinking exactly the same thing you know mainstream um, economists the vast majority of economists don't uh, you know don't sort of support this plan and, uh, and seem to be incredibly worried indeed and gerard lyons is one of three um, sort of outspoken uh, vocally supportive economists of Liz Truss, along with Patrick Minford and Julian Jessup. So for him to be criticising it, as you say, is really something. I think interesting this morning that, you know, after um, Liz Truss and Chris Philp's media round, it still seems that uh, um, yields on government bonds are rising. Uh, the pound is down, uh, equity markets uh, weakening as well. So I think it's just a very febrile time in the markets. And um, and, you know, one of the things I'm hearing more supporters of trust say is, um, particularly around sterling, well, look, the currency markets, they go up, they go down. We had that message from, from Chris Philp as well, uh, as well trying to um, dismiss the volatility uh, in the pound. But 
interestingly, one MP, um, Tory MP, pointed out to me, um, you know, last night, you know, everything in the world is priced in dollars. You have to look at things that way. It's not just oil and gas. It's sort of ultimately how your um, currency does against the dollar really is an indication of how rich you are as a country. So I think possibly the the, the bid to try and um, undermine that line of argument uh, about the, the pound's weakening nature is also um, for the birds. The other thing that was really striking listening to those uh, those local radio interviews that Liz Trusted did today is she it wasn't just obviously on the I mean the the economy that package last week dominated, but she was pressed on fracking, food banks, small boats coming across the channel, the state of hospitals, the state of roads, pensions. She sort of struggled on all of them. Um, she was looking at them. Things were being reviewed. She wouldn't overrule her own health secretary on the fact that her local hospital, the hospital closest to her constituency, is propped up by 1,200 roof supports. And it's just a reminder that actually there's a whole load of things that people want want sorted out, want fixed. And she didn't seem terribly confident of, of, of doing anything about any of them. No, that's right. And I think it's, you know, shows how much politics and and parliamentary time is probably going to be dominated in coming weeks when the Commons returns from the conference season by this uh, economic situation, not allowing or leaving much other bandwidth for the other areas um, which require um, attention, pretty urgent attention in some cases. And that's one reason I think that lots of Tory MPs I've been speaking to have said they're going to give conference a a miss this year um, because, you know, is the NHS's sort of local government reform going to get any kind of uh, airtime or real debate going when the economic turmoil is dominating so much? And just looking ahead then, Lucy, to that Tory party conference next week, what do we, we know who isn't going. Uh, uh, Rishi Sunak's not going and lots of his supporters. What do we, uh, who do we expect to go? And is there going to be a massive bun fight or is it just going to be the, the hardcore supporters of Liz Truss? Well, let's see. Uh, I've spoken to some uh, Tory MPs who've been critical privately of her who um, have said they're not going. I've spoken to some who said they are still deciding, may yet go. I think certainly um, some of her sort of institutional backers in the think tank world, the Institute for Economic Affairs, the Taxpayers Alliance, um, I'll certainly be heading to their receptions. I expect (laughs) there will still be a a sense of triumphalism there that finally the sort of free market libertarian uh, experiment, if you will, that they've been calling for for years is finally being implemented. I think that uh, for me will be one of the most interesting um, quarters of the party to try and sort of scrutinise, chat to, take the temperature of, to see whether, you know, just how well or badly they think things are going. Oh, well, I look forward to it, Lucy. I look forward to, a, a, you know, a glass of warm white wine in a windowless room in in Birmingham with you. Uh, Lucy Fisher there, Times Radio's Chief Political Commentator. Uh, thanks very much for taking us through uh, the political picture. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 